Welcome to the Crackpots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. I'm Pastor Chad. This week was, um, well, technically it was Pharaoh's daughter and Miriam, but I really focused on Pharaoh's daughter. I didn't really get too much into um, the prophet Miriam. So we may spend a little time in our podcast talking, talking about Miriam, um, just because I didn't get to her in the sermon. Um, <clears throat> But, uh, so yeah, this week the focus of the sermon was kind of on Pharaoh's daughter being a very privileged member of society and was able to do probably what a lot of other people would not have been able to do. What was the, what was the credit card company that membership has its privileges? Is that American Express? I thought that was American Express. I think so too. Yeah. And she happens to be a member of the most elite family in society, the most powerful man in probably the known world at the time, um, was Pharaoh. Because the Egyptian empire was pretty massive. um, Yeah. And controlled a lot of uh, of trade, a lot of, you know... um, a lot of stuff, and so to kind of just defy that really took a little bit of guts, (laughs) and I find it because somebody came up to me after the um, six o'clock service, and they were like, well, maybe she just never told him what she did, and I said, that's possible. The only problem with that idea is Moses knows who he is. Moses knows he's a Hebrew. Because when he winds up killing that Egyptian, um, it says that, you know, he, you know, decides to go visit his people, knows he's, th- those are his people. So he knew, which means, I, I mean, I'm guessing this wasn't some huge secret. Yeah. And I also don't know how you suddenly just have a baby, but we're, you know. <laughs> yes, it's not like finding a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> Look, there's a puppy. <laughs> Let's take him home. He's cute. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. typically write that way with kids. At least, I, I mean, my recollection of... Now, granted, um, health, sex education is a little sketchy in schools, um, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. No. Oh, look, found a baby. Poof. Nope, nope, typically, typically not. Um, so they at least knew she got a baby from somewhere. Yep. Um, and that it was not necessarily um, a huge secret that she had done this. Yeah, I mean, again, not something that's easy to hide. No. A hermit crab, you might be able to stash in your room. Yeah. But a baby? Yeah. I mean, they kind of... I mean, my guess is, you know, it was kind of one of those things where um, Pharaoh just kind of went, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, probably didn't see the the survival of one child that was going to be raised in his home um, being that big of a deal. I mean, maybe he just wanted to be a grandfather. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, I'm fairly certain that those family dynamics were likely such that he didn't probably have a whole lot of interaction with his daughter. Probably not. I mean, when you're at kind of at that level... Um, 
they also tend to isolate you quite a bit. And so she probably didn't sit down and have dinner with dad every night. <laughs> you, got people to, you got people to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it may have been a while before he even was aware, um, which, you know, may have been a way in order to kind of hide it. But um, that, like I said, I, I, I have my doubts that that was something she was able to really completely hide. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it, if anybody was going to get away with it, it was going to be her. And yeah, I find, I find it interesting. Like there's, there's sort of, there's two ways that situations like this go, right? So I'm, I'm thinking of, of coaching, right? So mm -hmm. I, I had the, I was lucky enough to coach my son baseball, coach my son hockey. Um, one, I was way more qualified to coach than the other. Um, I, I, understand, I understand systems and teams and, and stuff like that. I never really played ice hockey, but, you know, at the, at the lower level, um, I, had, I knew enough to, to be somewhat effective. And I was always of the ilk that I'm going to be harder on my kid than someone else will be because I didn't want to be accused of the whole favoritism thing. Right. But that often goes the other way where, you know, the coach's kid, the coach's kid, the coach's kid gets all, all the privileges. Um, I think when you're a tyrant, you don't care about those optics. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. Just <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I was not of the tyrant type. Yeah. Um, although, although Camden may have disagreed at times um, while I coached, he may have... Uh, <laughs> thrown me more on the, the tyrant end of it, but um, yeah, optics yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, they matter for people in our positions. I don't think they matter so much for, for Pharaoh. I don't, I don't think he was too concerned about what people thought <clears throat> yeah, probably about not. much of anything that he did. Um, you know, you get to that level of power and you just, you, you, you quit caring, uh, you know. It's like, I'm going to do what I want, and I've got enough people, I've got enough people around me that support what I'm doing that I can get away with it, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, and in, in most instances of um, authoritarian power, they surround themselves with people who just say yes. Yes, yep, lots um, of yes men. Which is really not helpful. You know, I, so when I was at my first call, it was a redevelopment congregation. Um, so specifically in that instance, you have an agenda you're trying to get accomplished in order to, to, to shift, the, shift the culture and get the, the congregation back moving in a, if they're trending, if they're trending towards decline, you need to do something to reverse that trend. And, and they were, rap they had rapidly they, they kind of bottomed out by the time I got there. Um, so in that instance, it's like, oh, well, I want to I shape counsel so that everybody agrees with me so I always get my way. Um, and you learn really quickly that's really not an effective strategy. Nope. Because you need, to have, you need to have people that don't agree with you so that you get a broader picture of, of the scope of the congregation. So, you know, I always say, well, and actually, one of the issues that that, that that council had when I got there was everybody just agreed. Like, re good, bad, or indifferent, they just, they agreed. 
Yeah. And I'm like, listen, like, I know that there's no way that y'all just agree with, on everything. Like, and you're just saying yes. Like, if you're not going to speak your mind, then there's no, then there's no point in, in being here. You know, leadership is better if you have a representation and you listen to the representation. Yeah. So. But, I mean, and, and when I worked at Disney, for example, um, we got a new president about kind of halfway through my time there. Um, and that, that new president of feature animation definitely wanted yes men around him. Yeah. Um, I was not one of those people. <laughs> um, he'd stop by my desk occasionally and ask my opinion on something and I would give it and I could tell it was not what he wanted to hear. So he would kind of turn around and walk away and um, I never then got included in some of those more private sessions or when things were um, being greenlit, et cetera, projects, you know, that like, oh yeah, this will be a good idea. And I'd be like, um, speaking as someone who comes from middle America, you know, the, the, the rest of the United States, <laughs> this right. isn't going to fly. Right. Um, and they didn't want to hear that. So it, um, you yeah. know, it, it's one of those things where echo chambers are, are never a good thing. Nope. Or, there are oh. oftentimes I didn't want to hear it, but right. wanting to hear it and needing to hear it are two different things. Um, and and I, I think I shared this before, at least in conversation, I don't know if on podcast, but the guy that I fought with most on council, when I left that congregation, we had one of the most heartfelt, meaning, meaningful to me conversations when he said, you know, I always appreciated that you challenged me. Yeah. Like, we didn't often agree, but I always, I always appreciated that you challenged me to think differently. And I said, right back at you, man. Like, like I, needed, I needed him to be part of our leadership team because he represented a, a segment of the congregation um, and, and challenged, and challenged you know, some of the things that we were doing. Um, and in, in some cases, it was just him kind of being contrary and he didn't have a point. And in, but in many cases, it was, oh, wait a minute, you know what? I hadn't considered that perspective. Let's, let's flesh this all out. Well, then we can't do that. We need to do this instead. Um, so I think, again, that authoritarian, you know, Pharaoh-esque type thing where it's like, I'm just going to, I want people to just go say yes. And ultimately, I just don't think that's effective. No. And, 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 it, and it doesn't turn out so well for Pharaoh. No, in it the does long not. Run. It does not go figure. Although it's a different Pharaoh, I think, by the time um, Moses comes back. But right. regardless. Um, pharaohs. Yeah, the pharaohs in general. And, and, you know, and the, the whole notion that, you know, if you look at Pharaoh's daughter kind of being part of a system that she did not set up. And, and I hear a lot of times, you know, even in our society where we have, you know, systems at play or whatever, you know, people going, well, I didn't do that. So why are you mad at me? Right. Um, I didn't, you know. Um, I didn't own slaves. I didn't own slaves. I didn't cause these problems. I didn't do this. So why, 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 is, why am I being blamed for this? And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, you know, Pharaoh's daughter didn't really set it up either, but she's still part of, of that system. Yeah. Now, she stepped in this one time, did the right thing. We don't know what else she did. I mean, it's one of those things. We have no idea what else she did. 
Um, this is the only story we have of her. Like I said, it's very, I find it very interesting, though, that there is this reference to Pharaoh's daughter marrying one of the um, uh, men from the tribe of Judah. Her name is Bithia. Um, that, that is in First Chronicles when they're going, going through the, the genealogy. So, so it's kind of interesting. It's like, huh, you know, did, did she go full-on rebellion? What? <laughs> um, you know, I, I really am curious about now having done this, um, you know, as we're doing this series and having kind of had to dig into really looking at her character I'm kind of like, now I'm really curious if that's the same woman. I mean, how rebellious was she? Um, did she get kicked out? I mean, I suppose that's a possibility. Maybe. You know? um, Pharaoh finally had enough, kicked her out. Um, when the, you know, or when the new Pharaoh, I would guess, would have been her brother, um, took power, was like, yeah, bye-bye. You're, you're, you're a troublemaker. You're a problem. <laughs> I want you nowhere near me. <laughs> the good old sibling rivalries. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, Dad may have put up with you, but not me. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's sad we don't have more information because I would have loved to have figured out what else was going on. Because somebody else asked um, how many, you know, how many babies went by on the river before she finally, like, and it's like, I don't know. We don't know what, what those circumstances were. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to make a judgment call there one way or another. Um, we have to work with what we're given. And given, you know, like I said, and, and what Would we're given is she made this one particular choice that had lasting effect. I mean... You know, we're still telling the story today, thousands of years later. Yeah, we, it, it, Scripture is often inco an incomplete story. Yeah. Right? We, we get a story. We get a segment of the story because that's the point of Scripture, right? Like it's yeah. trying to, you know, direct, but there's obviously more to the individual characters' lives. It's not a in-depth um, biography of individual characters, maybe more so, maybe a little bit biographical of Jesus, maybe a little. But, I mean, for most, most characters in Scripture, you're getting some snapshots. Yep. Um, you're getting a, uh, a, a Snapchat version of, you know, it's there. And yeah, we get a little more with, with characters like Moses, with correct. characters like David, where we get to see more of the arc of their, their life. Yeah, yeah. they're um, few and far between. Yeah. Yep. We get to see more of their, the arc of their life, and we get to see the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I even use David as a perfect example of, you know, once he came to power, you know, rules didn't apply to him anymore. And he kind of did whatever he wanted and got away with it. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't like to think that about good old Pharaoh, or sorry, good old David, um, <laughs> but they were kind of acting the same way once, once they had that, basically that sort of supreme power. Well, I think it, I think it, that speaks to what the, what the narrative is, right? So the narrative with David is mighty King David, blah, 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 blah. And that's what kind of stuck. Right. But we know from, uh, the entire story of David that, 
he had some flaws, which again, don't we all? I mean, let's not, let's not pretend that Moses was perfect or David was perfect or, you know, our... I mean, Moses killed somebody too. Right. But he actually um, feared the authorities. He, he seemed to think there would be repercussions for what he did because he ran away. That's true. That's true. Um, I, I, I think he, but at, how, at how some much? point, it, it, it was, at least for him, he realized that he was in some kind of danger if he stuck around. But that's also recognizing his station in life, right? Like, right. Like, okay, so here I am. Yes, I'm, I've been sort of gifted this, this place in... But in, ultimately, I'm still a Hebrew who just killed an Egyptian. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and uh-oh. <laughs> and oh, yeah, that could be bad for me. Oops. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So despite so, all the privilege and everything that I grew up with, the reality, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better term, racism comes into play. Yeah. And, and he recognizes that. And goes bye-bye. Yep. Um, Flees Domitian on the other side of the Sinai Peninsula. Yeah, realizing that, oops, yep. this could be bad for me. I find it very interesting, too, how, how his, Moses' sister gets introduced to this. Um, she does not have a name to begin with. It's just his sister. And what's also interesting is the way the story starts out is it says a Levite man met a Levite woman, they got married, and had a baby boy. There's no mention of the baby girl they had before the baby boy. <laughs> right. Um, because clearly Miriam is much older than, than Moses and is his sister. And it's like, oh, so we're just going to skip over the fact that clearly this couple had other, other children. Well, but again, that goes back to, you know... What's the focus what, of the story? Well, but not only the focus of the story, but a sign of the times. Because, you know, when you had children, what did you want? You wanted boys. Yep. I mean, you, you, wanted, you wanted sons. Yeah, and who knows where Aaron came in. I think maybe... I, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look. Is Aaron a younger brother or an older brother? I don't know. I don't know either. My... my Again, my gut was going to say older, but then I'm like, well, I don't know that to actually be true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can, I can find out really fast because this is why we love living in the age we do. That's right. The Google um. machine. <laughs> um, and... I completely lost my train of thought. It was a good one. Well, too. we were talking about the introduction of Miriam into the story. Oh, yeah. So, um, so it's interesting. He like, is three years older than his brother Moses, so he is not introduced either. I was right. L write that down. Yep. I was right you were on a biblical So it isn't just point. Miriam getting ignored. It's, yeah. it's Aaron getting ignored as well. Yeah. Which, yeah. Th which then shifts the focus away from it just being sort of a yay, yay we're having boys as opposed to as, as Yeah, opposed it, to it really is. We're just going to focus on Moses yeah. as being the important person here. Yeah. And we're not going to bother with the other two children that were born. But it is, um, it, it is interesting um, how the whole having sons and daughters thing sort of plays out for people. And I think, I think largely there's still that... I want a boy. I want to have a boy. Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's just interesting, interesting to me. It, breaking um, out of those patriarchal um, ide ideologies and systems is really hard. 
Yeah, and because it's like it's it's handed down for generations, and it's and, really I, and I wonder I wonder if it's and my this is my guess, um, and I'm I'm an only child, so I wonder if part of it is again typically. The, the, the children take the father's last name. So there's that whole continuation of lineage there is. The, that, go, that goes with boys. And I wonder how much of it is tied to that, the family name living on. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I suspect that that's a large part of it. Um, I don't know that, again, I'm not a family tree person, but I'm an only child, and my dad... I, I don't know that there are other fairs out there in our family. I guess there are, other than my, me and my son. Like, I don't know. I'd have to go back and really trace that. Anyway, yep. whatever. That's, my mom did a lot of work on that. I know where all my... <laughs> my my, my, my yeah. aunt did a lot of work on that, and she died earlier this last year. I guess end of last year, I guess it was. Um, and I don't know what happened to all the, all that, all the work she was doing on that. And again, that, I don't know why for me, like the whole lineage thing doesn't, like it's one of the things in scripture when they start going through the son of blah, blah, son of blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Like I often skip that part and just get to, okay, what's the point of the story? Cause I don't care about the lineage. Um, I mean, I get it. It's all supposed to tie back and blah, 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 but okay, whatever. Son of so-and-so and I don't need the, I don't need the biblical family tree. But anyway, so he has an older sister named Miriam who is instrumental in making sure he, he finds his way to Pharaoh's daughter. Um, and then it's interesting. Again, I'm wondering, I, I just, I really wish we had more information because it makes you almost think Miriam knew Pharaoh's daughter would be the person to have this kind of compassion because she kind of stays in the reeds, and as soon as she picks the baby up, Miriam's right there, like, going, hey, um, you, need a, you, need a, you need a wet nurse for this? Yeah. <laughs> I can help you out. <laughs> um, so either extremely bold and brazen on Miriam's part, which is possible, um, or she knew something about Pharaoh's daughter and knew that this would that this was the route to go um, of, you know, we know Pharaoh's daughter is going to be the one to do that, you know, to, to, it's just, yeah. I seem to think a wing and a prayer as opposed to knowing Pharaoh's daughter would be the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, like I said, I don't know. I just, I just find it interesting that she was real quick to jump on yeah. that and, and come out of hiding and be like, Oh hey, yeah, I've been over here in the bulrushes, just um, watching everything. And uh, want me to go find the uh, uh, real mother that can do this for you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I, again, for me, I'm, I'm, my thought initially, again, verbal processor here. My thought initially was that you know what, the only chance we have is Pharaoh's daughter because she has the the, the power and the privilege yep, to make this happen. that's entirely possible. But it's also possible that, hey, I know that she comes down to the river. I have seen how she has responded to... X, Y, and Z. Yeah. X, Y, and Z. 
um, she would be compassionate. Yeah. I, again, I, we, again, it's not in Scripture, so this is all just spitball in here. Um, and obviously, it could go either way. Pick, choose your own adventure in this case. Yeah. Do they still have those books? The Choose Your Own Adventure? I always thought they were interesting. You know, you're, you're reading the book, and it's like, turn to page this. I think they or, still have them. They also kind of have some app ones that are like that, but I don't like them. Um, at least not the way they've, they've, they do them. But anyway. Um, so Miriam, the thing I find interesting about Miriam is Miriam is a prophet in her own right. Um, and actually, so is Aaron. So Moses is the prophet. But both Miriam and Aaron are, are prophets. And there comes a point, if you go later in this story, if you get into, um, like, the book of Numbers, and they're doing it out in the wilderness doing their thing, <laughs> um, there's a rebellion of sorts where Miriam decides she does not like Moses' wife because she's a Cushite. She's Bless you. not a Hebrew. Um, and so she, she kind of goes after him, and they kind of, you know, tries to sort of usurp the authority going on here, and she gets, she gets a smackdown. By God, big time. Um, gives her leprosy. <laughs> Don't mess with God. Yeah, is like gives her leprosy and basically says, um, "Yes, you're a prophet, but I actually talk face to face with Moses." <laughs> so, <laughs> zip it. Yeah. Zip, so zip he is who I have chosen. I mean, and there's another, there, there are a couple of rebellions that Moses has to deal with. Um, you know, there was another one that uh, uh, they had to throw down rod. You know, Aaron had to throw down his rod because the, the, the trio of them were being um, challenged as, as authoritative. And it was like, all right, we're all going to throw our, our rods down and see which one buds. And so, that so, one. Yeah, I, I, I find it funny and not necessarily funny, haha. So Moses, like, if, if you, you know, fast forward from our story today and in between where we're at now, like, Moses was like, nope, not me. Right? Like, Moses, like, nope, I am not your guy, God. Like, uh, nope, I, not me. Uh uh, find someone else. And nope. Moses was willing to, like, give it over. He was like, yep. y'all want to do this? Go for it. <laughs> yep. And yet, there were so many pushbacks. And so many opportunities for Moses to tap out and be like, nope, yeah. not me. Well, and like I said, and he even, you know, when they were doing he was like, you know, you want to do this, go for it. And God kept going, no, that's not how yeah. this works. Yep. You, 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 don't, you don't get a step down. <laughs> yeah. But to his credit, he did keep going. Yeah. It's I, like, I, well, I, nope, God said I'm supposed to do this. And so guess what? I'm, I'm going to do this. I mean, at some point, there's a stubbornness to Moses that's like, again, needed God to kind of, Pick him up, push him along at times, but you know, hey, he yeah, and I, dusted I always, himself off and kept moving. I always find it really interesting too what he gets in trouble for, um, because he didn't absolutely obey God's word. Um, he was supposed to speak to a rock to get water out of it, and instead he hit it with his stick, 
and that keeps him from going into the promised land. And I'm just like, that's harsh. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's some harsh. I, I didn't follow the letter of what God told me to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I did it a different way, and God was like, nope, it's <laughs> not how that works. <laughs> well, and I mean, I think that's one of the challenges of ministry in general, right? Like, there's there's there are many things that I I, I don't like about ministry. But then you kind of go, okay, but this is kind of what God, I feel, is calling me to do. So put your big boy pants on and suck it up. Again, now, I, we are much more along the lines of the Aaron slash Miriam type of um, minister from the standpoint of God has not talked to us face to face. Correct. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't had that, <laughs> that experience. Um, Honestly, that would freak me out. Well, like the it, whole burning bush thing. Like it, it freaked the Israelites out too, because when God would speak, um, that's when they were like, um, "You know what? That terrifies us. Don't don't do that anymore." Yeah. And they and they specifically asked for Moses to be the intermediary there. They yeah. were like, um, "We we really don't like it when God speaks directly to us. Please have Moses be this person who." like kind of <laughs> is the in-between person. Moses is the sermon editor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it also makes them easy, it easier for them to um, dismiss Moses at times because Correct. now it's, well, it's not God talking to us directly. It's Moses. Yeah. Um, so kind and, of an out for and them. And he talks funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mr. I, I, I am not an eloquent speaker. But Miriam's role, I find just, like I said, I kind of find interesting um, from the standpoint, and, and a lot of people, so when I was doing some research, even on, you know, when I was looking at Miriam and stuff like that, there were some things I ran across that just made me roll my eyes. One of the things that they used with Miriam was, um, you know, Miriam just didn't know her place when she tried to, like, challenge Moses. It was like, she didn't know her proper place. And it's like, all right, that was not the problem. <laughs> the problem was Miriam was a racist. <laughs> Miriam didn't like Moses' wife. And that created problems. It had nothing to do with Miriam's leadership, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that Miriam was a woman being a leader, that was not the issue. The issue was um, she just decided she didn't like somebody and tried to act on, on that. Um, because you don't get, you know, the, the, the same, I guess, admonition of Aaron, who kind of was right there with Miriam <laughs> in, in a lot of that. Aaron's just such a funky character. It'd be interesting to do like a, a bigger study on him. And you got to remember, he's the guy who um, made the golden calf. And literally, his, his claim was he just threw the gold in the fire and a calf 
popped out. Don't believe me, go read that story. That's his defense. Which makes you wonder, like, is it abstract? <laughs> right? Like, let's, let's, let's give him a little benefit of the doubt. Again, is this like the pristine, well-sculpted-ish calf? Or is it like, hey, that kind of, like, like you're looking at a cloud in the sky. Hey, look, that looks like a calf. I, I just had to laugh so hard, though. I, whenever I read that story, yeah. is it, is just well, I just I don't know how this I don't know where it came from. I I just threw the gold in the fire and boom, this calf this this calf came out. I, I it's beyond me. I, <laughs> and I'm like sitting there going, "This is the dude we make and that we put in charge of the entire priesthood." <laughs> Well, <laughs> Aaron is the high priest. Aaron is the guy that's in charge, and he made a golden calf and somehow doesn't understand how, how he made that golden calf. <laughs> and maybe why God might be a little pissed about it. Yeah. Well, no, I think he understood why God was mad. But I think, I think you know, not to, I, I think there, we have colleagues that, throw some golden calves together, not physically, but proverbially, they make things golden calves that kind of put above, um, we, we, unfortunately, I think we, we see that more and more in today's society in the church, where church with a capital C, um, we see people, churches, congregations, denominations, making golden calves out of things. Um, although I will say that I don't know that in Aaron's case that it was necessarily as a God thing. I think now the golden calves, they try and twist scripture a bit to sort of prescribe it to God, maybe more so than what Aaron did. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, even what Aaron was doing is, you know, so you got to realize, so, so let's back up a little. You spent the past 400 years in Egypt, surrounded by the Egyptian gods, surrounded by that theology. Um, the understanding is that the, the ancient Israelites were probably sort of you know, kind of this hodgepodge religion that had been, you know, you don't spend that much time immersed in a culture and don't adopt some of its practices. You just don't. Um, right. it, 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 it's impossible. Sure. Even, like, if you want to fast forward to after the exile in Babylon, when the... Um, the Jewish people come back to, to Israel, they have pulled in a lot of other things into their, their theology, into, I mean, this is where we think they, you know, the, the Persian Empire um, was Zoro, Zoroastrian, which is also monotheistic, strangely enough. Um, but they're kind of where the concept of heaven and hell came from. And, and, and like a... a um, a demonic type of figure that is opposed to the God figure. 
So you kind of get the whole notion of Satan, etc., um, being this, this opposition figure out of the Babylonian exile um, that they picked up probably from, from the, these other empires. And um, they also pick up Greek notions um, of your leader and your priest are the same person. Because Judas Maccabeus, when they all do this thing, he has a, he has a brother who they wind up uh, making him both the king and the um, high priest, which was not something they did in Israel prior to this. Mm-hmm. It was always a separate, th- these two things were always separate. Um, and God wanted them separate when they got out of Egypt because of the melding that was going on in Egypt between the priests priesthood and Pharaoh, and of course Pharaoh was considered divine, um, and all this other kind of stuff. Um, That that melding of the two together, um, centralizing the control of both the religious and the state being under the same thing was not a good plan. So David, for instance, is not a prophet or a priest. The king was not, he was the political figure. And you had a priesthood that was completely separated from that and was not allowed even to own land in terms of like their whole tribe did not get a portion of the promised land the way everybody else did. Um, And that was by design. That was to separate those two things um, to make sure that that you basically that the priests could act with autonomy in the religious realm um, and the king was not necessarily wielding um, power and control over the priesthood. So, kind of separation of church and state <laughs> yeah. in, in a lot of ways. Even though Israel was, by definition, a theocracy, um, they still kept the roles separate, interestingly enough. They, they still seemed to think that keeping those two, two things separate was a good idea up until after the Babylonian exile, then they combined them again. But that didn't last very long. Because then the Romans came in and kind of undid all that. Um, although then you get the Sadducees, who were sort of the descendants of all of, of those kings that were the priest kings. Um, and wind up being, the again, the elite in society, so to speak. Um, but going back to our, our women, <laughs> uh, our women in this story of, you know, Miriam is in and of herself kind of a fascinating character. And it's interesting, depending on which translation of, of um, Exodus you read, depends on who, who sings the battle song is determined by who, dec- who, who translates it. Most attribute it to Miriam, but there are some that attribute it to Moses. Because typically, it's the male leader of the battle that sings the battle song. So Miriam writing and singing that that song obviously kind of upends that notion. Um, The thing is, we have another instance of that happening where it happens again in Judges, where Deborah's in charge, um, where she's a prophet, a judge, um, a a leader of the military, 
and she sings the battle song. Um, and again, you, you get some pushback from people going, well, maybe it was actually Barack, the military leader, who wrote that, and that's just, it's just being, you know, ascribed to Deborah wrongly. And it's like, no, she was the military leader. She was the person who did this. Um, so, I mean, pretty much, I think it probably was Miriam because she's the one that's there leading all the... Um, all the women in the song and, and, and things like that after they've defeated uh, Pharaoh at the uh, Red Sea. And so it's just, it's kind of, like I said, it's just very interesting to kind of follow these characters through, you know, with all of their, their good points and the flaws that, that they have as well. Um, I, I, I think that... I always find interesting the perception of church and the reality of Scripture. Scripture is full of flawed people. Messy situations. Like, messy situations, flawed people, just kind of like uh, real life. And then one of the pushbacks, you know, against church is... And in some cases, rightfully so, um, the perception that people in church, either from people outside or people in in the church, well, I, I go to church every Sunday. I have I have my I have everything together. And I think sometimes church folks portray that in in out in the world. Well, I go to church. I'm I'm good. And we're not. Like, we're just as flawed as, as anyone else. I think we often don't, we often shy away from that fact. Um, it, it, in my opinion, it, it seems as though we're, we're, we shy away from that fact. Instead of just saying, listen, like, yeah, I, I go to church. I go to church because, like, I need that forgiveness piece. I need that connection to something beyond myself, to something bigger than myself. And just like people in throughout Scripture, I'm flawed. Well, and part of it is that <laughs> Matthew 5, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, <laughs> Shut and, up, Matthew. Yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, okay. Um, I mean, goals. I was going to say, it, that's not it, to say it's that... It's good to have that goal. Yeah, it's not to say that we're ascribing to and saying you should subscribe to, um, well, just be an idiot and be a jerk and be responsible because, you know, there's a whole forgiveness thing. I mean, that's cheap grace. But, I mean, our, our goal, our goal should be, and the goal, I, I would say, of every major religion, essentially, is, is that, that enlightenment, that, that becoming closer with, with God and... And being better today than you were yesterday and, and growing in your faith and, and those things. Um, yeah, knowing that we're not going to get to that perfection thing. But we should at least, like, maybe we don't try to be perfect, but we try to be better. Like, just be better. Better today than you were yesterday. And some days we're going to have bad days. I mean, let's face it. Like, sometimes, you know, circumstances don't necessarily bring out the best in us and... You know, we have, we have a friend that this is one of the most positive people in the world. And I, 
I, I, I envy them to some degree. I'm like, man, like. How, how do you find that <laughs> energy? Yeah. Well, and, and just like, and like all the time, like consistent. Um, I try. I, I mean, I, I definitely fall short on that respect, but. Um, you know, and at the same time, though, when you're in a place of lament or whatever, when someone comes in trying to be that positive person, you just sort of want to smack them. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's something about being um, Job's friends before they open their mouths and say stupid things, um, I, of just sitting. Like, we, like we, we, we went to the movies yesterday after worship. One of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> um, I mean, it was what bad. What movie was this? Uh, Paul's of Fury, so animated. Oh. Um, I guess it's supposed to be based off of Blazing Saddles. Oh my! And Samuel L. Jackson's a character or a voice, a voice in it. And I thought, man, this should be good. Um, and like many kids' movies, animated kids' movies now, they understand that parents are going to be sitting in the movie theater and they're going to throw you, the parents a bone every now and then, and and with some with some puns or some humor that that's that you get, but the kids probably don't to make you laugh. I don't think I laughed for the first hour of that movie. And I think I got like one chuckle from, from like one line. I'm like, okay, that was good. But God awful. And we left the movie and this friend of ours was like, so that was pretty good. And I'm like, that was terrible. Well, yeah, I did fall asleep for about five minutes. But... <laughs> I'm like, right, like, like, let's just be honest, like, that movie sucked. <laughs> That's too bad. Um, yeah, go to the movies and spend that much money for it to stink. Ugh, man. Um, That's what I get for taking my kids' advice on a movie. Well, I mean, yeah. And Anna's like, I just wanted to hear that one line. They're like, we paid 50 bucks for us as a family so you could hear one line? Like, that you clearly already heard on a preview. Yeah. Well, you know, here's, you know, it's a Paramount Pictures. It's, it's the not, only. It's not Disney. It's they the just... only funny line in the whole movie, and it was in the previews, and we could have just like recorded the preview or something. I will say this about Disney animation. They rarely have just an absolute. Their their feature animation. I'm not talking their direct video. That's a disaster, um, and always has been. But their, their feature animation, you ha are hard-pressed to find, especially, uh, you know, probably over the past 20, 30 years, a, a film that's a real stinker. I mean, there are ones you maybe like better than others or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but just a real, like, oh, that was really, really poorly done. Yeah. Well, and, um, that's, and that's why. And, and this was Paramount. Th this was Paramount. This wasn't Disney, just yeah. FYI. Um, and not because I have some great loyalty to... Disney, but having worked in their animation department, I will say they had supremely talented people. And DreamWorks was, was on its way to doing some really good stuff too, and then they just kind of disbanded their animation. Um, yeah. They got swallowed up by Universal or something, because a lot of the Disney people defected and went to DreamWorks um, because they got paid more money. Uh, <laughs> Funny how that works. But there, there's something about what Disney does, and, and believe me, when I worked there, everybody hated the the quote Disney formula. If you brought that that up, but there's something there that works, yeah. and and the way they put movies together. And, yeah, yeah. And, and again, I I love a lot of the kids' movies, the animated yeah. movies. They're they're good. 
And, and like, like I said, they, they have the nice message for the kids, but then they also, you know, throw in some, some lines that are like, <laughs> that was funny. And your kids look at you and go, what? Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's okay. That's on mind. purpose. That's on purpose. I know. It's, it's, it's like, the how it's, do we market to the parents yep. too. Um, it's like, yeah, that's for me. It's okay. Yeah. But um, You'll get getting, it off someday. Track, getting off track here. Um, so going back to our, what, what's going on here, there's a real comparison, believe it or not, I think, between Pharaoh's daughter and Jesus, believe it or not. Um, and it's called compassion. That was kind of the thing I brought out in my sermon, is what, what's the thing it says when um, Pharaoh's daughter sees the child? It says she, she takes pity and therefore does what she does out of pity, out of compassion. And if we look at how often that is a motivating factor for Jesus when people come to him. You know, it's like, hey, he's getting ready to go do whatever, and someone comes up to him, and he takes pity on them and deals whatever, you know, with whatever ailment or thing that they, they need taken care of. Um, that compassion and pity are things I feel all too often are lacking in our world. Yeah. And, and, and not, I'm not talking just about back then or even just right now. I think it's something that has always been a problem. I, I think we harden ourselves um, and we, we lose the ability to have compassion. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of it is the narratives we create, right? So the guy on the street that you walk by or drive by, and you go, Ugh, lazy, Ugh, drug addict, Ugh, crazy, you know, whatever label, and it allows us not to see them as human. You right. know, the person who, you know, has a, a, an outburst or a breakdown, whatever you want to call it, and we don't stop to go, I wonder why. You know, the person who... Um, Get, provides you bad service. And, and I'm, I, I am, I'm one of those people that I really appreciate, quality, like at a restaurant, quality service, right? Like, I, again, and for me, that's be personable and, you know, engage and whatever. Um, I mean, you can take a long time to get me my food, but just be engaging and personable and whatever, and I'm good. Um, but we, never, we, we, we don't stop when that is not the case and go, I wonder what's going on in their life. Right. right? I, wa I wonder what's going on. I wonder what has happened in this person's life that, that yep. they are where they are. And, and we, had, we, you know, we, have, we have some challenging, difficult members in the congregation, as any congregation does. Right. Like you put you know, any group of people together and there's going to be people that you mesh well with, some are difficult, some are easy and, you know, and it's amazing how often when you get to, when you, when you know someone's story, you go, oh, I understand why that person is guarded or jaded or yeah. negative or whatever. Like I, I get it. And, and that's not to say that there aren't those people out there that absolutely take advantage 
Sure. Um, and that are that are toxic. Sure. Um, I've I've run across you know, I I am always benefit of the doubt for me is to be compassionate, and it has bitten me. You know, it. it, it but even but even even people who are toxic. You can always trace it back. Oh, there, there's and, some event, there's something in their life. And go, oh. Now, again, what? that doesn't mean you allow them to continue to drag you down. Right. But Well, I, and I it's think kind of we... the question, too, of when people are, you know, it's like, well, but the, all these people who take advantage of the system. And I'm like, okay, but what in their life is driving them to, to need to do this? Well, and the people that are, quote, taking advantage of the system, as in cheating the system, are few and far between. Right. Well, they're few and far between, but if you think about it as well, the ones that are doing it have probably, it's one of, it, our systems are not easy to navigate, first Correct. of all. Correct. So if you're kind of playing it up straight and narrow, actually getting help is really hard. Yeah. And so the people who have learned to, quote, work the system have learned you can't play the straight and narrow. Yeah. If you play the straight and narrow, you're gonna, pardon my friend, you're gonna get screwed. Yeah. You know, you're 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 gonna get screwed out of what you need, um, by just you know. And if you look at Florida, for instance, our unemployment um, website system was designed to fail. It was literally set up to be so confusing yep. and so problematic that people won't use it. It's, they're like, if it's, if it's such a disaster that people cannot use it, then, you know, then we don't have to deal with them. We don't have to give them stuff. We don't, you know, so it literally was designed to fail, which became a huge problem during COVID yep. when, <laughs> you know, half the population was unemployed going, I need unemployment benefits. And our, the system was just like, this thing isn't designed for normal People, you know, under normal circumstances, yeah. for you to be able to get what you need, and then you, and then you, and you crunch the system, and yeah, it cracks. Yeah, and it still cracked because they didn't bother to really figure yeah. out how to overhaul it. Yeah, um, we just had people getting evicted. We had people. I mean, well, now we're in the fun crisis we're in um, in Florida, but that's another story. But I, 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 th I think you're right. Like there, there's an overall lack of of compassion. And just taking a deep breath to understand, yeah, right? Like, why is someone that way? Why is someone acting that way? Why is someone... And I, I talked about this a little bit on, on, on Sunday. The, the event we went to, Christine and I went to Saturday night, was for a nonprofit that put a musical together to address bullying um, in schools. And one of the characters in that um, was a girl who, she was the mean girl, so to speak. Um, you know, the cheerleader who is the snob who treats everybody like garbage and blah, 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 blah. Well, her backstory is her mom's an alcoholic and, you know, she's dealing with all of the, all of the disappointment and pressure and responsibility of having a mom who's an alcoholic. Well, she's, she hides that from everybody at school, so nobody knows. But the way she engages people in school is very negatively. So you don't always know the backstory. I know that's a fictional account, but it's a fictional account that's not really a fictional account. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the reality is that is reality for, for some folks. Um, and instances like that, 
you know, we, we're a product of, but, you know, part of it, you know, and Christine and I have had this you know, conversation, how do we cultivate compassion within our kids? You know, how do we teach compassion um, within our, with our, with our kids so that they can express compassion to those in need? Um, and I think part of it, you know, a large part is modeling it, is really trying to model it and be compassionate towards others. I know kids pay attention to what you do absolutely. more than what you say. Yeah, you know, we had we had a, a member of our congregation and um, his son won won something from a, a charity event and donated the kid on his own donated his winnings back to the charity. And not prompted by the parents. Mm-hmm. Again, that's, that's cultivated by living it at home. It's one of the things that we talk about a lot, and we, you know, we talk about you know, a lot with our, with our youth and our confirmation families. Like, if, if, you're, if your goal is to cultivate you know, faith within your, within your kids, dropping them off on Sunday morning once a month or a couple times a, a month ain't going to do it. Like, we can teach them some basics and some foundation, but if you're not doing it, modeling it, and living it at home, um, I, I got news for you. It, it's not going to happen. It's not gonna, you can't just, it's not like a, it's like a thumb drive, you know, where you can just sit someone down, stick the thumb drive in their ear, let's go to ear, stick the thumb drive in their ear, and suddenly we've downloaded a life of faith. Right. Like, like I, I mean, I think I can preach some, some good sermons every now and then, but that ain't going to do it. Like, it's, no, it's got it. it, to sh- be something that is done more than, more than even, even, I'd be more than happy with perfect attendance at church. But even perfect attendance in church is it going to fill in all the blanks? Because if you do the math, and let's just for round numbers sake, let's say there's 52 Sundays in a year, 52 church services. Yeah, I know there's extra. Let's say there's 52 church services, and you're 52 for 52. Still, there's more. Because that's only 52 hours over the course of a year. Yep. Do the math, 24 hours a day. I'm not going to do it for you because I don't have a calculator handy. But 24 hours a day times 365, that number is a lot bigger than 52. Yeah, it's... Um, eight thousand seven hundred sixty. Yeah. As opposed... <laughs> as a, I mean, just look at it this way. So there's 365 days in a year. 52 hours is, is a little more than two days. Yeah. Hmm. Now, again, are you going to be... Um, are, are you going to be 24-7? No. I, even you and I are not 24-7. And we try no. to live it, but, and, and we... And, and we, we have our, we, I mean, we're human. It, it's, we get irritated right. by things. We, we get fed up with things. We, but the more you can immerse yourself right. in a life of faith, prayer, scripture, um, worship, and, yeah. and, and those, those types of things... Uh, I mean, we have our limits. You know, we have, people that, we have people who regularly come to us for, for certain things. And after a while, we're like, yeah, no more, you know. And it, 
I, I wish we had the ability to help people more get out of the situation they're in. Um, you know, giving them the 50 bucks to buy groceries or whatever, just is, it, that's not going to solve their problems. It's a Band-Aid. And it, it doesn't, it's not even a Band-Aid. I mean, it's a, okay, that takes care of today. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's pretty much it. And sometimes, that, sometimes that's what you have to do. Sometimes you have to take care of today. Yeah, and, and, and that's fine, but it isn't, I mean, but we know they're going to be back on our doorstep. Yeah. Um, and I mean, again, I think that's, I think that highlights the importance of, you know, and we talk about this a lot of, of systems. Yeah. You know, how can we change systems that accommodate folks, that help folks who are on the margins? Yep. Um, we just had someone walk into the sanctuary who last week was in my office and was like, listen, there's a lady that comes to the soup kitchen and she's having issues with her septic tank or her sewer system. How do we help? Yeah. Knowing that the bill is like, Potentially thousands, thousands of dollars. Well, it depends. I mean, if it's just a simple septic tank issue, okay, so it's a couple hundred dollars. Well, a couple hundred dollars for someone who doesn't have resources and is using our soup kitchen, not because they want to, because we're good cooks, but because they need it, a hundred dollars, a couple hundred dollars is, is a lot of money. So how do you, it's just, it's really, it's really hard. Um, it's really hard to try and, and piece all that together. Yeah. Um, all right, we are at our time. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So, um, next week, <laughs> you're preaching. Sex you, workers, I think. You get Rahab the prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. A sermon on sex workers. So, I actually did some research, put some notes in the file for you and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's actually, I think you, you can come up with a pretty, pretty awesome sermon there. Yeah, we'll see. What, we'll, we'll see how much trouble I get into. That. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I, I looked at the notes briefly last week, um, and I was like, "Oh, sex workers. Yeah. What, what could possibly go wrong?" What, yeah, yeah. How can that possibly not be heard the right way? Um, or, I think that's one of those things that just right out of the gate, you own it. Yeah. And be like, "Listen, you know who I pity right now? Brittany." Yeah. I, <laughs> Brittany's got to come up with a children's sermon <laughs> that deals with Rahab the prostitute. <laughs> That's the part you ignore. Yeah, I think tomorrow's conversation with Brittany is, listen, find a point and make the point and don't talk about the story. Yeah. Again, it's, it's not, yeah. a, it's not a, you don't rehash that story. Nope, nope. You don't, you don't retell that story. Um, so, anyway... That's what next week's is going to be on. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> so there's our little teaser. You get sex workers next week. All right. Oh, boy. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.